2: Hey everyone, I'm Jean Chatsky. Thank you so much for joining me on a special bonus mailbag episode of the Her Money Podcast. We have heard from so many of you this year as you navigated uncharted waters with your jobs, your families, your housing situation, your savings accounts, the list goes on and on. And even though this year brought a lot of new financial questions into our scope of consideration, we also know that a lot of the old ones just hang on. And perhaps there is no bigger one than the question of prioritization, specifically how Best to give life to what are often our two biggest goals a healthy retirement for ourselves and a successful financial start for our kids. Because the truth is that with college costs soaring, as we heard from Ron Lieber in episode 254, to as much as $300,000, I can't believe I just said that, for four years of private tuition. We really can't do all of it. We can't give our kids a fully paid college experience and ensure that our own futures are as secure as they need to be in the vast majority of cases. So what do we do? How do we juggle saving for college and retirement and get it as right as we possibly can? You probably already know, or at least suspect, that there are no one-size-fit-all answers, but there are some answers, and as Catherine and I dive into the mailbag today, these are the sorts of questions that we are going to tackle. Hey, Catherine. Hey, Jean. How you doing? I'm doing fine. I am doing fine. I, I like trade-off questions because... I mean, I just think that they are sort of the meat and potatoes of what we do and that at these answers, kind of, even if we're not talking about college and retirement, they kind of apply to any trade-off that you've got going.
0: I agree, and I love trade-off questions as well. I feel like we hear them the most often as it pertains to college and retirement because these are the two big things that people save for, and when you do put money towards your own retirement and you haven't funded college, I think there is a certain amount of guilt there, but as we always say, you can borrow for college, but you can't borrow for retirement.
2: That is true, although I'm going to just nod back to Ron Lieber again, and he pointed out sometimes you can borrow for retirement in the form of a reverse mortgage. It was an interesting argument that I had never heard before, and so for people who haven't checked out that episode, it's worth a listen as well. But let's dig into these questions.
0: Yeah. Our first note comes to us from a mom in Maryland. She writes, Hi, Jean and Catherine. I love the podcast. Thanks for maintaining this wonderful, educational, and inspiring community. My question is about 529s and funding private elementary school. We were fortunate to be able to send our children to private school in person this school year after it became clear our local public school would be virtual only, and we plan to continue for one more year with the expectation of going back to public school in the 2022 to 23 school year. Thank you for the recent Die With Nothing episode. It really helped me clarify my thoughts that even though the tuition cost may be tough to swallow, the investment is worthwhile because spending the money now is probably when I can get the best return in terms of maintaining my kids' enjoyment of school, family peace, and my career and earning potential. We have the income to cover school tuition from our monthly cash flow, but with the changes to 529s as part of the tax cuts a couple of years ago, I'm wondering if it might be advantageous to use these to fund elementary school tuition. I would create a separate elementary 529 for each child and fund them equally by diverting other savings, primarily my annual bonus, which should cover about half of tuition. I'd use a conservative asset mix with the relevant target date fund. My thought is that at least we might get a bit of tax-free growth out of it, better than the abysmal interest rate in a savings account, while we're using that money to pay monthly for school tuition. I know short-term money doesn't belong in the stock market, but I figure if the market tanks and the 529s lose money, we'll just pay for school out of our savings and cash flow instead and convert that elementary school money to extra college money. Am I missing anything? I've never tried to actually withdraw money from a 529 before, so I'm not sure if there's some reason that the potential growth would be offset by fees or headaches. I appreciate your wisdom. Here are some more numbers if relevant. My husband and I are both 37, and we'll have three children in elementary school for the 2021-2022 school year. The elementary school we're sending our kids to costs around $20,000 per child. We have secure jobs with combined annual salaries of around $350,000. We have about $900,000 in our combined retirement accounts. Plus, my husband will be eligible for a federal pension. We will continue to max out our 401Ks, TSPs. We are saving $2,500 per child in 529s intended for college. We do not have a goal of fully funding our children's college educations from these 529s. Our emergency fund covers six months of expenses, and we have long-term investments outside of retirement accounts that we contribute to monthly and are around $300,000. Our only debt is our mortgage at $380,000 remaining at 3% and our car payments. Thank you so much for your advice.
2: And thank you for laying it all out for me so neatly and in such an organized way. I appreciate it. For people who are not familiar, let me just take a step back and explain what those tax changes are that you were talking about. The Tax Cut and Jobs Act, which was the tax law that was signed in 2017, allows families to use 529s to pay for tuition expenses at elementary or secondary, private, public, or parochial schools. Those changes became effective in January of 2018. What you may be missing is the fact that it only allows people to pay for up to $10,000 in expenses. And so you say that your kids' expenses are $20,000 per child. If you were thinking of flowing all of that money into a 529, I wouldn't do that because you've got a very short time window here. The other thing that I would be careful of is investing the money too aggressively. I know the markets have been on a tear, and I know that bank savings accounts are truly dismal. But I wouldn't want to see you get out over your skis too much in an attempt to capture a return. That said, there's nothing wrong with this strategy. You certainly could flow the money through a 529. You may be able to take a tax deduction for making the contribution as well, depending on the plan in the state of Maryland. And if you are perfectly comfortable with leaving the money in as a college contribution, if it turns out that the assets fall in the short term, then I think that you're good to go. I would just keep the limitations of how much you can use from the 529. Each year in mind. Lastly, you just mentioned that you didn't know how difficult it was to use money from a 529. I've done it, and so let me just tell you, it is super easy. You can usually write checks directly from that 529 or make payments directly from the 529 to the school without having to receive the money yourself. That's the way that I did it when my kids were in college, and it was uh, could not have been easier. So good luck with that, and I'm glad to hear that your kids are doing well with this change of school. It's been a really tough year all around.
0: It's so nice to hear that it's easy to use 529 money. I would not have suspected that given how difficult some things pertaining to our investments can actually be, so that's nice.
2: Yeah, and you know, I'm talking specifically about the New York State College Savings Plan, which is where I put money for my kids for college, but again, super easy. Our next question comes to us from Megan. She writes,
0: Hi, Jean. I'm curious to know if I should be contributing to my other savings goals, even though I'm not currently maxing out my current 401k contribution. I'm 36 and I have two young girls, ages two and five, and I'd like to contribute to a college savings account for them. I have a 529 plan set up for each of them. My husband and I have agreed that we would like to be able to cover 30% of their college tuition, assuming the rest would be covered by a combination of financial assistance, scholarships, and their own savings or loans. My husband, 38, and I haven't combined our finances, but he is contributing into the family pool, which I then use to cover family expenses and our emergency fund. He's behind on his retirement savings having just started a couple of years ago, so I've encouraged him to contribute as much as he can into his 401k to catch up. I, however, am only contributing 8% of my $150,000 salary, which I will not max out my 401k contribution for the year. I'm happy to report that I'm already at the three times rule of thumb for my total retirement savings in a combination of a 401k and pension plan from a former employer, which has $450,000. Wahoo! We are also homeowners in Philadelphia and plan to one day sell our property to help fund some of our retirement. We estimate the current value at $650,000 and we have a mortgage of $348,000. Should I be worried about maxing out my retirement at this point? I want to start putting money toward college and home improvements without straining our monthly cash flow. Where would you recommend I focus? Thank you so much.
2: So when we talk about where we're going to put the next dollar, there are a couple of things that we think about, Megan. And one of those things is absolutely our goals, and you laid those out really nicely. But another one is the return that we're going to get on our money. You didn't mention matching dollars in this letter, I'm wondering if you get them. And I'm wondering if you're, even though you're not maxing out the ability to kick money into your 401k, if you are maxing out your ability to grab those matching dollars. That's really important because that's the best return that you're ever going to get on your money. It's definitely the best guaranteed return that you are ever going to get on your money. So I would look there first. If you are maxing out the matching dollars. Then add the matching dollars to that 8% that you're contributing. I'd like to see you get to the point where with matching dollars and your own contribution combined, you are kicking in 15% to your retirement. And I'd like to see your husband get to the same point. The big amount of money that you already have in your 401k does give you a little wiggle room to prioritize college savings. It's fantastic. It's fantastic, particularly at your age. And I'm really, really happy to see you there. But we want to make sure that we keep you on target. So what I would do is try to at least stay consistent with retirement while grabbing all of those matching dollars. Try to get yourself up to that 15%. Point, but see if by going through your current monthly expenses with your husband, preferably by sitting down and looking at where all of your money combined is being spent, if you could eke out a small monthly contribution into the 529 plans that you've opened for your young girls. I would also. Let everybody else in the family know that you have these accounts, grandparents, aunts, uncles, anybody who asks you, what would your child like for their birthday should be encouraged to perhaps get them a small gift, but make a contribution to the 529 plan. And you'll be surprised at how quickly that money adds up as well.
0: Love that advice. And I also was going to say that sitting down for a chat with her husband could be really helpful because I'm all for the separation of finances, but I do think that sometimes if they're too separate, it can lead to some things falling through the cracks. So I bet they're able to come up with
2: some new strategies if they put their heads together. Absolutely. And you know, even if you keep your finances separate, I think having joint goals is really important and figuring out how you are separately working toward those joint goals. just keeps everybody on the same page. For sure. Hey, everybody, it's Jean. If you want to continue unlocking your potential, then you should also check out Think Fast, Talk Smart, produced by our friends at Stanford Graduate School of Business. Think Fast Talk Smart is the Webby Award-winning Best Business Podcast that received nearly 50 million downloads. It's the number one career podcast in 95 countries, so you know it's worth your time. Each week, host and Stanford lecturer Matt Abraham sits down with experts to discuss the best tips to hone and develop your communication skills from making small talk that leaves a big impression to keeping your nerves in check while speaking, to being more persuasive. Whether you're working on your elevator pitch or planning an important meeting, strong communication skills are critical to business. All that and so much more is available on Think Fast, Talk Smart. Listen every Tuesday wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. Hey, you guys, it's Jean. I want to tell you about another podcast I think you'll love because I love it. Freakonomics Radio. Every week, host and best-selling author Stephen Dubner dives into the hidden side of business and economics and so much more. He interviews CEOs, historians, even Nobel laureates to explore all kinds of topics like whether AI has a sense of humor and whether two CEOs are better than one. If you are curious like me and just looking to better understand the world around you, you will find it on Freakonomics Radio. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. We are in the midst of our college and retirement mailbag. Catherine, what's up next?
0: Our next question comes to us from a member of our Private Hermony Facebook group. She writes, "Jean and Catherine, I need some help weighing the pros and cons of 529s. I'm a late-in-life parent, and I'll be hitting college expenses for two and retirement in quick succession. I want to start saving the right way. I fear a 529 is too restricting, and if my child's path takes him away from a traditional education, I want to make sure he can access the money for education or for anything else he might want to pursue in life. I've met enough brilliant people to know that the traditional college and career path is not for everyone." With that said, I don't want us getting crushed by taxes if he doesn't use the money for educational purposes. What do you think
2: are the best ways to save from my situation? Thank you. This is a terrific question, and the nice thing, one of the nice things about 529 plans is that they can be used not just to pay for traditional college, but to pay for trade school programs, cosmetology school, technical college, culinary school, also for computer equipment and other educational supplies. So they may not be as restrictive as you think. Also, If you have money in a 529 and one child doesn't want to go to college, you can move the money to be used for another child in the family. You said you have two college tuitions that will be hitting In quick succession. As long as you think that one of your children will want to go through some sort of education, I think that there is a benefit to putting some money into a 529. But I wouldn't try to fully cover the cost of what you think that education might be. I would probably try to amass enough to cover a third of it while heavying up on your own retirement, knowing that when those educational expenses eventually roll around, you'll be able to borrow, you'll be able to pay for some out of current cash flow, and your child may want some of that flexibility that you were talking about. So the penalties when it comes to pulling money out of a 529, if they are not used for the qualifying expenses are 10% on the earnings portion of the withdrawal only, not on the principal that you put in. There's often a lot of confusion about that, and people are worried that they'll be penalized 10% of their principal. I just want you to know that that is not the case. To me, it sounds like putting a little bit of money into one of these accounts where you can get the tax benefits is a good idea as you move forward and try, of course, to put as much into your retirement through tax advantaged vehicles as well.
0: Fantastic advice, Jean. Thank you. And nice clarification about the 10% penalty. That's really important.
2: Yeah, I think people definitely get confused with tax rules and tax rules are confusing. So no judgment there. Definitely. Our next question comes to us from an anonymous listener.
0: She writes, what's the best way to educate myself about how to make choices related to money for retirement versus paying for children's college? I'm about to turn 50. I'm single and I have two children, one who's just started college and one who's heading there in 2022. I contribute just enough to my retirement account in order to get the employer match. I have a growing savings account, which serves as both an emergency fund and a college savings fund. I have my first child's college almost completely taken care of, and for my second child, I've got about a year's worth saved. My only debt is a mortgage, which isn't much, and I know that's considered good debt anyway. I know there are pros and cons for putting more money into retirement and then paying for college with loans versus trying to cash flow college and putting less into retirement, but I need to learn more. What is the perfect balance if there is such a thing? What advice can you give me on this, and what resources should I dive into to educate myself? Thank you.
2: So a couple things occur to me here. The first is that there is no quote-unquote perfect balance. But what I'm missing from the equation here is how much you're actually going to need for retirement and how your retirement account is tracking according to the benchmarks that we also talk about. So we alluded to them in an earlier letter, but let me just lay them out here. The benchmarks that I like to use, which were developed by our sponsor, Fidelity Investments, say that you should have one times your income put away for retirement by age 30, three times by 40, six times by 50, eight times by 60, and 10 times by the time you retire. And that money will enable you to replace for people who earn between $50,000 a year and $300,000 a year, about 45% of your pre-tax income, and when combined with Social Security, will usually give you enough to pay for retirement for 30 years. But the key word there is usually and it all comes down to what you think your retirement is going to cost you will you live in a house that's paid off or will you still be paying a mortgage will you plan to travel extensively what does retirement look like for you and when do you think retirement for you will be coming along only when you go through that analysis Can you answer the question about whether the amount that you're putting into your retirement account, which as you said, is just enough to get the employer match right now, is sufficient? I hope that you filled out the FAFSA and applied for financial aid for your child who's already gone through college, but I want to really encourage you to do it this next time around, particularly when we have two children in school. The aid just tends to be a lot more plentiful. And I would also encourage you for this child who is starting college in 2022 to try to max out merit aid by applying to a wide range of colleges, including to those colleges that really would like to have your child based on the fact that their grades and their scores are in the upper tier of their student population. If you haven't listened to our show with Ron Lieber, please go back and listen to our show with Ron Lieber. It really lays out Merit Aid, how it works, and how to get it in a very, very clear and I think helpful way. So that is the first resource that I would send you to. I'd also send you to his new book on the true cost of college, and I think that'll be very, very helpful as well. Thank you, Jean. I love those benchmarks and those resources you cited. I would love to be able to give her a a balance. I'd love to be able to say, okay, put X number of dollars or X percent in college and X percent in retirement, and I just can't do it until we do the retirement calculations. It's not a fair way to answer the question. So, I hope she doesn't mind.
0: Right. Our last note comes to us from a member of our private Harmony Facebook group. She writes, "I need investment advice. My husband and I are fortunate enough to have minimal debt and we have two boys, ages 11 and 8. We're both currently well employed and feel secure in our positions. We have 8 months of emergency savings in the bank and we're well invested for retirement. We're ages 46 and 49." We both have life insurance through work, and we're considering getting a separate policy. Should we get a whole life policy, or do we do term life insurance and invest in mutual funds? Whole life seems really expensive for a 5% return. I should clarify that our goal isn't to leave a grand estate to the boys, but rather to help them with college and to
2: enjoy our retirement without worry. Thank you so much. It sounds to me like term life is the way for you to go. And here's why. When we buy life insurance and when we approach it as an insurance policy rather than a supplemental investment policy, what we're insuring for is our income. We're basically buying this on the calculation that if something were to happen to us, our children and potentially our spouses who depend on our income would need to replace a certain amount of money in order to raise them and get them through college and potentially pay off the mortgage. But if that analysis sounds right to you, then the goal when you get to the point where your retirement accounts are fully stocked and your kids are launched and the mortgage and college are paid for is that you can drop the insurance. Term life insurance policies, in particular, level premium term life insurance policies, where you get a premium that's going to stay the same for 10, but preferably 20 years, maybe even 30 years, but probably 20 years in your case, is that we'll just drop the policies at that point. We'll be set and we won't need the insurance anymore because our dependents won't need the insurance anymore. Whole life insurance policies are for people in most cases when they're looking at it for insurance who know that they need to maintain that insurance for a longer period of time because their dependents are always going to need the money. So if you had told me, for example, that one of your children was a special needs child and you knew that you were always going to be responsible for providing a home or some level of support for that child, then I would go down the whole life road. But in this case, it sounds to me like term life is going to be the way to go. The last piece of information that I want to give you is that In 20 years, after this level premium term policy expires, it is going to be expensive if you want to buy additional insurance at that point when you are 66 and 69, or if you go for a 30-year policy, 76 and 79. You should just factor that into your calculations when you're deciding how many years you want that level term policy to be. Thank you for breaking that down, Jean. Sure, absolutely. And and I think she knew the answer to the question before she posted it or before she wrote it because it seems to me like she was leaning in that direction.
0: I totally agree.
2: Yeah, but I think understanding how the cycles of these policies typically work can be a really helpful thing to hold on to. Such a great point. Thank you for the great insight as always. Oh, well, thank you, and thanks for gathering them, and thanks to all of you guys for joining Catherine and me today on Her Money. Thank you to all of the readers and the listeners for writing in with your great questions, for reading our email newsletters, and for visiting us at hermoney.com, and also for keeping us laughing and inspired in our private Her Money Facebook group. We could not do this without you, and we're so glad that you're with us every single day. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe to our show apple podcasts leave us a review we love hearing what you think we'd also like to thank our sponsor fidelity we record this podcast out of cdm sound studios our music is provided by video helper and our show comes to you through megaphone thank you so much for joining us and we'll talk soon